0: Kia ora Tefano, Corbevin Morgan and you are listening to Offspring, a podcast all about the anxieties of a parenting journey. This is episode 5 Being Boring. So far in this series, I've looked at the parenthood journey before Labour, and obviously including Labour last week. There's a reason for that. The pre period for us has taken up about 35-40% to 40% of our parenting journey since Ava is still relatively young. Therefore, I felt like it made sense for me, personally, to devote about that much of the series to it. Those episodes are done now, and from here on I'll be looking at the post period and all the intense experiences and emotions that has brought. The episodes that lie ahead will deal with some Pretty heavy topics. I'm going to be talking in more depth about addiction for a start, and then I want to focus on issues like sickness, pain, guilt, and probably a bit of existentialism. So it's going to be a lot at times. I thought I'd start today with what I incorrectly originally thought would be a really light topic to ease us in in this episode. I'm going to be speaking about tedium and the inevitable bouts of boredom that we must endure when raising a small child. And I appreciate that this might seem trivial and selfish because it's, well, it's absolutely both of those things. However, it's also not only those things. Tedium is a significant part of raising a baby in particular, but it's a topic that we're kind of discouraged from being open about. But like, I get bored parenting, I really do. And if you've spent any time with children, whether they are your own or somebody else's, I can only assume that you have gotten incredibly bored at some point too. I think that's the nature of spending hours dealing with a brain that's so early on in its development. But I will also assume that if you're anything like me, you've also felt kind of ashamed about being bored and had intense pangs of feeling ungrateful for feeling that tedium. It's sort of like everything else about raising kids, I can't even feel bored correctly anymore. And that's what I'd like to try and unpack a little bit here today. When we first bought Ava home, it was sort of impossible to be bored, because there was just too much stuff to do, and it was so stressful and Overwhelming. I mean, looking back, the first couple of weeks we had Ava at home were actually just kind of a, a, a blur. The memories I have of that time are weirdly specific and sporadic. I remember being in the birthing unit um, and watching the cable guy in between bouts of feeding, and I just sort of recall, like in these moments, I was I was finding myself reflecting on the year nineteen ninety six and if my eleven year old self could have ever imagined where I was going to be in 24 years if I'd even thought about it at that age I remember coming home and our family being there to help us out in the first few days and just my sheer relief at that um, I recall small things like almost burning myself multiple times getting things out of the sanitizer immediately after they had finished sanitizing because I still wasn't used to organizing myself to get things like that ready in advance I remember trying to keep Ava's tiny little room warm with a heater and accidentally turning it into a sauna more than anything mimicking the womb she had just emerged from. I remember breaking down in the kitchen at some time in the morning in the dark as I just couldn't handle the screaming and I was just so over what we were doing. And I remember her little eyes barely being able to open and being so scared to dress her with that tiny little fragile body and rocking her while feeding her and being overwhelmed in both wonderful and horrifying ways about how this small little creature was now existing and how she could function and develop off these tiny little amounts of milk powder like it was some kind of sorcery. It was also profound and extraordinary. Um, every little action and development struck me as uh, equally absurd and divine in both you know, good good ways and bad ways. I also recall, though, that I occasionally I would admonish myself for taking moments for granted because I knew that those first moments were special, um, even when they were frustrating and bad, and I knew I had to make the absolute most of them. Um, I knew that this was the only time in my life that I would ever do all these things for the first time, and each moment should really have been treasured. But it all became really normal <laughs> very soon and it became repetitive and frustrating and sometimes dread inducing whatever novelties that there were when we first came back they started to dissipate for example it really didn't take me that long to start doing my nighttime feeds a bit differently at first I was content to sit in a rocking chair with Ava and watch and listen to her in fascination However, within a few days, I soon began making sure I had my iPad set up within sight with a decent run of cartoons queued up to help make the whole thing go a bit quicker. Burping once had such a, I don't know, such a sense of achievement tied to it. When I first successfully burped Ava, it was like, oh, I'm actually parenting and I'm, I've actually done this right and I'm, I'm going along with it. It was kind of exciting, like a sense of accomplishment, but that lost its allure pretty pretty quickly too it soon became just more of a frustrating and tedious rigmarole Um, instead of like a competition with myself to to get there and to to get her feeling better and to finish the job it sort of became something that I became really nervous about and there was this sort of frustration when when it wasn't working and it wasn't the the sad part is it wasn't necessarily because I was worried that she would feel really bad. I was more worried about the fact that we were going to pay for it because she'd be feeling miserable and crying and all those kinds of things. So it became really selfish really quickly. Eventually I even got comfortable with changing her because originally that tiny little body was so hard to change for me. I felt like I was going to rip her arm from its socket every time it got slightly caught and her onesie it was it was kind of a white knuckle thrill ride but eventually that taking the one onesie off and replacing it with another became less like a scene from the hurt locker and more just like a scene from (laughs) like any assembly line in a factory just with more washing and more baby poop and i think every developmental leap or milestone or sign of significant growth has kind of been like this the developments were all so impressive at first because and Just bear with me, because I know this analogy is probably a bit overcooked, but because babies really are like little scientists making thousands of discoveries every single day, as babies learn what their extremities do and how their senses interact with their surroundings, they make the elements present in their environments clash so that they can measure the impacts. And because their own understanding of their own abilities is itself just another series of experiments... This leads them to repeating these various experiments over and over and over and over as they begin to develop new levels of comprehension and new levels of sensory engagement. It's fascinatingly surreal to watch and to witness. I remember feeling at times like I could just visualize all the new neural pathways being forged throughout Ava's brain as she did something as trivial as picking up a spoon and dropping it only to pick it up and drop it another 11 times. There is no time, I don't think, in the human journey where the development is so rapid and so visually clear to spectators. And that is a truly beautiful thing to bear witness to. For Ava, there's been probably no better example of this explosion of neural pathways than the process of transitioning to solid foods we started adding solids to Ava's diet at about four months old. And that transition became an ongoing epiphany that she is still experiencing today at nearly a year and a half old. Every new type of food, no matter how plain or pedestrian, creates a big bang event that forms a universe of neural connections all blasting into existence at once. If we throw in some new types of cutlery and a new kind of high chair and a new environment, suddenly there's so much excitement and so many things happening in her brain. It's like she's not a scientist doing, I don't know, running a blood test, for example. It's more like she's in charge of turning on the Large Hadron Collider. But the thing is, for us as outsiders, all I can think of is, I suppose all I can think of is scientific stories presented on film. Because there's an excellent reason why when film studios create a prestigious Oscar-bait movie about a scientific breakthrough starring Benedict Cumberbatch, um, the filmmakers don't show the protagonist's journey in real time. They wisely compress decades of trial and error into a 100 to 180, depending on how pompous they are, movie. And they do that because the scientific process is immeasurably boring for anyone not involved sort of directly in it. It's repetitive, it's painstaking, and it often leads to frustrating dead ends. And unfortunately, as a parent, you know we don't have the power to streamline our own little Alan Turing's development of their Enigma machine. We just have to be a witness to the ceaseless and relentless repetition of those failed experiments without having the ability to get your child to cheat, even though... We did those experiments decades ago. As I write and record this episode, I'm 37 years old and I have had plenty of experiences in my life ranging from the sublime to the subhuman and the truth is that for a 37 year old me plain porridge just really isn't particularly exciting uh, in the same way it is to Ava when she first tried it. My excitement and my thrill came from the discovery of seeing her enjoy solids and seeing how her brain reacted to this entirely new experience. And there are still moments where I appreciate how miraculous and awe-inspiring it can be to watch. I do still think it's hilarious when we are with her grandparents having dessert, and she knows instantly to go to her papa to get some of his ice cream. That doesn't stop being cute. But generally speaking, feeding is a frustratingly slow and boring grind. Ava might be on a culinary journey the likes of which our feeble adult brains could never comprehend. But for me, the excitement of feeding and watching her discover new things didn't really last, and it just became another chore to complete. A feeding time now is normally a series of negotiations. We sort of are like Woodrow Wilson, and she's kind of like George Clemenceau, and we're having dinner in the Palace of Versailles at the end of the First World War. Again, I know it's really petty to complain about this kind of stuff, but the Tedium we feel so consistently from something like feeding is very real, even the most magnificent experiences become a job eventually. All this isn't even taking into account some of the really petty and trivial stuff that I get frustrated by. I was hoping that even from a very early age, I could introduce Ava to you know some really cool stuff. And no matter how much you tell yourself that you won't live vicariously through your children, you do kind of hope that they'll like the same things that you like. Um, but then somebody will introduce them to nursery rhymes or the wiggles, God forbid. And suddenly you'll see that no matter how elegant and ageless and timeless you think that the writing and Simpsons season five episodes are or how child friendly some of your music tastes are, they're just not as exciting to a one year old as The Wiggles and their stupid propeller song are. I remember reading an interview with Brad Bird, who's the director of some really iconic animated films, like The Iron Giant, Ratatouille, and both of the Incredibles movies. And he was speaking about how his experiences as a stay-at-home father helped shape elements of the second Incredibles movie. And this following quote really hit me like a ton of bricks when I remembered it. He said, I had a real bachelor's notion of what having children would be like. I thought, I'm going to start them out on silent films, and so they'll think they're cool, and they won't know that they're really old, and then I'm going to do this, and then I'm going to do that, and it'll be fun. They're little blobs that have no individuality until they have started to have life experience. And Basically, everything I was thinking was wrong. I mean, there's no good reason why you should ever expect to be entertained by the same things that your infant child is, and... Vice versa, but it was still a bit of a shock to the system just how little she was interested in some of the things I thought were an absolute shoo in. And it's still a bit of a shock to the system now that I get worn down by her when she's grizzly. And sometimes I find myself in a spot where the only thing I can think to do is give in and put on a collection of wiggle songs, even though I know that I'm going to want to bang my head against the wall while they play. And I should also add, that's nothing actually against the Wiggles. I'm aware I'm not their audience, and I admire what they do and their whole philosophy, blah, 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 blah. I also find their songs just unbelievably annoying. But here's the rub, the really depressing part about boredom and tedium in parenting. Earlier on, I mentioned that I, I feel like I can't do boredom correctly now that I'm a parent and that's because when I first started to find parenting tedious I didn't just feel bored because that would be far too simple instead I always ended up facing a tag team duo of feelings I felt bored and I felt like a petty selfish pathetic little failure as I made reference to earlier on I, I know that these moments I feel frustrated by won't last I know that so many parents out there have suffered tremendous, indescribable, incalculable, incomprehensible, earth-shattering loss. And they would rightly murder me where I stand to get some of that tedium back. I, I know that regardless of the avenue that Ava's life takes, it's pretty much impossible that there is any future outcome where I won't be looking back wistfully at this time wishing I had appreciated it more. I know that tomorrow is not guaranteed to me or to anyone. If something were to happen tomorrow, I would be so full of regret for taking these moments for granted as if they were endless and forever and guaranteed. I mean, when Ava has been sick, all I've wanted more than anything is a return to the tedium and banality of our routines. So yeah, I haven't just felt bored. I've also felt like a failure and a selfish, petulant brat alongside feeling bored. But it still somehow gets much weirder than that even. Since Ava was born, I've had several incidents that I sort of just refer to as mental collapses. And they're basically what the name implies. I break down and I lose my ability to function as a parent even slightly adequately. And when this has happened, Gemma has offered to take Ava and stay with her parents just up the road so that I can take some time to recover. Other times my mum has come down to lend a hand, Um, but regardless of how the situation has evolved specifically, I've been fortunate enough to get a break. And it's not as dramatic as it sounds when I describe it like this, like when these collapses have happened, I simply haven't had the strength to deal with the monotony of parenthood because I haven't had enough energy to do much more than the absolute minimum my brain and body required to keep ticking over. When Jim's offers these breaks, it's her doing her best to help me. Now, at the risk of completely derailing this podcast, I, I do want to address something. If you think that sounds like she's having to take the brunt of the work, then I don't blame you because that's true. And believe me, I've felt it more than you could probably ever feel it. In fact, the initial collapses were compounded by the guilt and shame I felt when she offered to go away for a night or two. I felt like I could barely call myself a father when I was so overwhelmed by even the most banal aspects of parenting that my family would excise themselves from me. But those feelings didn't help anything. They would only exacerbate the situation. They just meant that Gemma had to develop the patience of a saint to endure my apologies and the constant hunt for reassurance. And even when Gemma would assure me it was okay, I still felt the crushing weight of failure on my shoulders because I couldn't believe her. It was a cyclical hellscape of emotional warfare between different parts of my brain. I've worked a lot with a psychologist over the past year to accept that it's actually okay to have these moments. I understand that there are times when we will inevitably pick up the slack for each other in our relationship. Gems has picked up more than me in terms of mental capacity during this first year, but I've picked it up at other places. She still has done more overall, that's just the reality of the situation. But I'm finally in a place, I think, where I am optimistic and confident that in the future I will be able to pick up the slack in other ways again. I'm more comfortable believing that when one of these events inevitably does happen again, Gemma will actually be okay. And she doesn't resent me. And we're just trying our best. I'm sorry if that came off as defensive, but I did think that while we were talking about it, it was worth going over in a bit more depth. Anyhow. We had one of these moments not that long ago, and it's funny, I noticed with this particular period of recovery I wasn't really getting better, in fact I was getting really agitated and panicked, I couldn't sleep, I couldn't get comfortable, none of my usual go to distractions worked to get me settled, and on the second night I was alone I was grasping the sheets tightly as if I was about to fall off the bed inexplicably, and it was only then as I desperately tried to figure out why I was so anxious even though I was having this precious time to recover that it dawned on me what was wrong. I was missing my wife and baby and I i appreciate that sounds a bit silly but what I mean is I wasn't just missing having them next to me. I missed having the nightly rituals. I missed having them read the same air as me. I missed the whole package including the boredom of routine and for the first time my isolation wasn't really helping me recover it was kind of making things worse and as frustrating as it usually was the tedium I don't know it's hard to describe because I still sort of struggle to come to terms with this a bit myself it felt essential in those moments as if it was water or food or air and that's the kind of head-breaking experience that I've come across Now that we have a child that nobody told me about beforehand, because never in my life before Ava did I ever have the experience of a total mental collapse that somehow made me miss tedium that would have in part contributed to the collapse. Even though that same mental collapse meant that I didn't have the mental capacity to deal with the very same tedium I was missing at that time. And what do you even do with that, like what did I even just say, I spent probably half an hour trying to shape that paragraph I just read, and I'm not sure if it makes any sense whatsoever and I still don't know if I understand it. How can anyone feel good about themselves or feel confident in their ability to parent when they can't even be bored correctly? Boredom and tedium shouldn't be that complicated, you should get bored, find something to do, and or have some sleep and then it passes. It shouldn't require This kind of introspection and all these complex emotions, it should be straightforward. But like everything else in parenting, even these simple feelings can become so hurtful and complicated when you're enduring mental health struggles and you're feeling submerged in the ocean of parenthood. The ironic part is I don't even know if these feelings are slightly relatable to anyone out there or if you've experienced anything like that. I'm hoping there are others. But I also have the sinking fear that all my pontifications about tedium and boredom might not be relatable to you at all, and in fact you've already turned off the show in frustration. Or, you know, boredom.
1: Over photos and invitations to teenage parties, dressing white, once said with quotations from someone's wife, a famous writer in the 1920s. When you're young, you find inspiration in anyone who's ever gone and opened up a. thought that thought make amends We were never holding back Worried that time would come to an end When I left, I left from the station With a heavy sack and some trepidation Someone said, if you're not careful You have nothing left and nothing to care for and but I sat back and looking for my shoes were high and I had scored. I bolted through a closing door. I would never find myself feeling bored. Because we were never being boring. We had too much time to find for ourselves. We were never being bored. Just stop and fall. Different phases in rented rooms In foreign places All the people I was kissing Some are here and some are missing In the 1990s I never dreamt that I would get to be The creature that I always meant to be But I thought in spite of dreams be sitting somewhere here
0: That was a cover of the 1990 Pet Shop Boys classic Being Boring by Sue Ellen. But not only was it a cover, Sue Ellen is actually a persona of Swedish singer-songwriter Tuvalu, which is quite a cocktail of words just there. There are a couple of other songs that were featured in this podcast, the first is a piano cover of the Pixies classic song Where Is My Mind and that was performed by Maxine Siren. The other song was called 2352 and that was by Alafor Arnolds and Nils Fram. Offspring is written and recorded by me, Bevan Morgan, at Momo Studios and the one and only Kirikiriroa Aotearoa. You can touch bass with me via email. It's just offspringpodcast, all one word, at gmail.com. Or alternatively, we are now on Facebook and Instagram, since Twitter is not the greatest place to hang out. The handles for both of those is just at offspringpodcast. Thank you so much to FreeFM89.0 and accessmedia.nz for their help in distribution of this podcast. And thanks, of course, to you for listening again. Hopefully, we'll see you next week.